As you can see, we're turning towards Christmas, uh, the celebration of uh, the Lord's advent into our world. And uh, I'm really thrilled that we did a good job of, of thanking him at Thanksgiving in this great time that we had in here and not forgetting about that. But when we turn to Christmas, our culture, the culture that we live in these days, is really messed up. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but it is really messed up. And honestly, even we Christians, as, as we're coming to celebrate and all of that, we sometimes get a little messed up as well. Uh, the picture that we have in our mind of, you know, what, what is Christmas? And, 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 and what was it like at that very first time? Some of the pictures in our mind of Jesus at the manger are very simple and uh, just... The, the basics of, of little Jesus and Mary and Joseph and kind of a simple deal. And some of them are a lot more complicated and complex in our minds with all the trappings and the angels and the magi and the shepherd, all of that. We're not positive. Did you know that if you have a biblical view of what happened 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus came down, that we're talking about probably a 16, 18-year-old woman, woman named Mary giving birth to our Lord and Savior, that he was probably born in a cave, possibly a barn. All we know is he was born in the trough that animals feed in, but we're guessing it was more like a cave or a barn. And that December 25th, we're just guessing. We have no idea. It was in the winter, but we have no idea. We have just picked a day to say we want to celebrate well, and so we have done that. But do you know in the Christmas story who the most misunderstood people are? There's a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of things that we don't get right. But the Magi from the East, in my opinion, opinion are the most misunderstood when we look back on them. They got it right in understanding what was really going on that first Christmas and, and beyond that, but our understanding of them is really messed up. And though a lot of people in the Christmas story were there, and then they showed up as we'll see a little later, these guys really got it right. But there's only one person in the Bible that really talks about them. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want to grab one from the chair in front of you, it's going to be on page 807. 807, Matthew chapter 2. Because Matthew is the only one that talks about these magi that came from the east. Very misunderstood, but they had it together, what Christmas is really all about. So I'm just going to read real quickly the first 12 verses, and then we want to talk about them a little bit, and then bring it back to us. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, 
he inquired of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Not. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So that's what the Bible says about the Magi. We have a group of magi from east of Jerusalem following a star that they believe is going to take them to the newborn Jewish king, and they have come to worship this king. The star led them to Jerusalem, and then Herod, by getting information from the Old Testament, found out that he would send them to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem, they find Jesus, they are overjoyed, and they worship him and give him their gifts. And then to Herod's dismay, they don't tell Herod where Jesus is, and they head home. Pretty simple and straightforward. But why do we get these magi so mixed up? Well, it's because of one line of one song. We three kings of Orient are. One line that brings three obvious problems as compared to the biblical text. First of all, they weren't kings. They were probably in the best words that we could come up with. The, the, the Greek just says magos, but it's probably astrologers. Um, we might think even of magicians. Wise men is okay. But these are guys who are watching the stars. They're not believers in Yahweh. Maybe they were when they left, we weren't told. But these are not kings from another country. Second of all, they probably weren't from the Orient. They were probably from the Parthian Empire, which is just east of the area that's east of Jerusalem. You've got a big desert there, and then if you go on the other side, you're in what we would call now Iraq or Iran, and that's probably where they're from, not the Orient. There probably weren't three of them. Why does everybody think there was three of them? Because they had three gifts. It doesn't say there were three magi. It says there were three gifts that the magi brought. Most people that are scholars and stuff would say there probably was a dozen of them, and they had a huge entourage with them. That's one of the reasons why it says that all of 
the people in Jerusalem were kind of like, ooh, you know, when, when they came, because who, who are these guys? And there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. And then while I'm on a roll, just want you to know, they did not go to the manger. We get that idea because they went to Bethlehem. But these guys saw a star, and they've been following it for a long time. And if you look uh, at this versus Luke that talks about the shepherds, Luke talks about a baby. In this text, it talks about a child. And if you go down, uh, Herod is ascertaining how old this child is because he's trying to figure out who do I got to get rid of. Verse 7, when Herod ascertained when they saw the star, so it has been a while. And then the biggest clue is in verse 11. Where did they go? Did they go to the barn or the cave? No, they went to the house where Mary was staying. So we believe that the Magi probably showed up a year or two later. Mary and Joseph, for whatever reason, either stayed in Bethlehem or are back in Bethlehem. We're not sure. And they have come to visit. Not baby Jesus. So if you have a manger scene at your house, you know what I do with my manger scene? I put the shepherds really close, and then I put the Magi over here. You do what you want. But they probably weren't there like the shepherds were. They probably came a year or two later, and they are worshiping at the feet of a toddler, most likely, rather than a little baby. So they're kind of misunderstood. This, this is the slide that I like the best. This is what I call my, my biblical wise men slide kind of a whole entourage. Now you'll notice there's three of them. I couldn't find any slide that had, you know, we seven magi or something like that. But kind of a whole entourage of people that are traveling with them and stuff. But honestly, as I look, this was my favorite slide, the today magi (laughs) coming to see baby Jesus. But you know, if... If you have three in your mind and they happen to have maybe yellower skin because they're from China or something like that or whatever, or they're visiting a baby at a manger, you know, that really isn't that big a deal. It's, it's okay. Because the, the main issue about the wise men is not necessarily who they were. It's what they came to do. That's the important thing. Some people have said the wise men came out of curiosity. Oh, there's something in the heavens going on. Let's check it out. Some people say they've come to help crown the king. The Bible doesn't say that. Some people just ascertain that. But if you look at the biblical record in verse 2 and then 11 again, what does it say? We saw the star and we have come to worship him. Verse 11, when they got to the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Even Herod, verse 8, yeah, go and find this kid, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Again, not he wanted to kill him, 
But that's why these guys came. They came to worship this new king of the Jews that somehow they had ascertained from the star, maybe the Lord gave them insight, we're not sure, and they have come to worship him. And worship literally means in the Bible to prostrate yourself down and bow down and kiss the feet of, usually a dignitary, obviously, a king or something. In the Bible, it's almost always God who is being worshipped, by the way. In fact, there are times in heavenly scenes where John and, and Isaiah and others like want to bow down to some angel and they're like, hey, no, 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 no. Nobody bows down to us. You only bow down and worship God. So that's what they were doing. So the point of the Magi story is we have some guys who have come to worship the new king, where he is, how old he is. That's the part that the culture has messed up a little bit. But the point is clear that 2,000 years ago, the reason these dignitaries showed up was to worship the Savior. So let me ask you a question. What are you going to do this Christmas? It's December 3rd. We've got a little over three weeks. And we are going to celebrate between now and then. Jenny and I just got a card from a neighbor, you know, come over to our house and have a party. And we're going to have, you know, family coming. And we're going to uh, whoop it up and do the nice stuff and get the tree decorated and all of that. But what are you going to do this Christmas? My guess is we, we're going to sing songs. Marshall will eventually transition a little bit into some Christmas carols. Uh, many people put up a tree. I never understood why we do that, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Did you know that the Fridays have celebrated the Lord's birth two years in a row now without a tree? <gasps> Can you believe that? that we could worship the newborn king without a tree. Whew. We don't even have any garland up, but I think it's coming. I think Jenny's going to get it up. <laughs> but I've been thinking, and I wanted you to think about, as you have some weeks to go before the day arrives, how are you going to worship? And this came to my mind. Have you ever gone to a wedding that you really didn't want to go to? Out of ob I see some smiles out there, yes. You and I have both had that happen. Honey, do we really need to go? Yes, we really do need to go to Uncle Joe, you know, or whatever. We are, we are going and we're going to smile while we're there and we're going to have a good time the very best we can. But we're going kind of because we have to. And you can go to a wedding and have the whole fancy celebration all decked out in the church. And then the food is wonderful. And we whoop it up with the relatives. And we ooh and ah over the bride and groom. But is that celebration not a little hollow? Rather than as compared to going to some 
celebration of a marriage that you are thrilled to be there and you're so excited that you know the bride or the groom or both of them and you just think this is the greatest thing that's happening and you're so thrilled to be part of the celebration. And that's what I'm the most worried about for us. For most of us in this room who have come to know Jesus as our Savior, we know that Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's not just a, a great theologian or a good example. He is God come from heaven to earth for the very specific purpose of 33 years later dying on a cross. And many of us un have understood that we are not right with God because of our sin and that Jesus said there is only one way to have an ability for a sinful person to be right with the holy God of the universe and that Jesus is through me, he says. That I have died for your sins and when I was 14 years old, I placed my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I know that many of you have done that. We know the person of honor. We know him well. And if you don't know Jesus well, if, if you are wondering who this guy is or you're not quite sure what your relationship with God is, I would love to talk to you after the service and show you from the Scriptures who this Jesus really is. But for most of us, that's not the problem. We know him. We love the season, the time of year, the most wonderful time of, you know, we all know that. But because of what we've allowed to get in the way, because of what we've allowed to overshadow the real reason, worship, sometimes I wonder if it's kind of like we're at a wedding that we're really not thrilled about. I'm, I'm obligated, I gotta go through the motions, but I'm not thrilled. Trees, decorations, they're part of the tradition, nothing wrong with them. Presents are a nice bonus, makes people excited. And, and some even use the Magi as an, an explanation of why we exchange presents. We're, we're honoring the Lord's birth and, and, and worshiping Him by giving presents. Some people would do that. Family is a neat part of Christmas. But did you know that you could worship Jesus and his advent, his coming down to earth without your family? I think of our men and women in uniform. Many of them are going to do that this December. Last year, Jenny and I had our first Christmas without our four kids because our son in the Air Force was over in Qatar. And we worshiped, and he worshiped. It felt a little different. Jackie's going to be able to worship this Christmas. Josh and his family are going to be able to worship this Christmas. My friend's family that I just buried, his wife and his kids, they are going to be able to worship this Christmas. Even though the family is not all together and not complete and all that, that's not the point of Christmas. That's a benefit. And it, and it might not feel 
the same because family is a big part of any celebration. But we can still worship whether family is around or not. There's a popular worship song. It's not a Christmas song, but it's just a worship song. Some of you have heard it before, and I rewrote it to kind of express what I think of when I think of this problem of of a believer and the emptiness maybe of Christmas. It says, When the carols fade and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, God, that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear, you are looking into my heart. And I'm coming back, Lord, to the heart of Christmas. And it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. And you know, I hope that During this Christmas celebration, every one of us who is a believer that we might have a chance to to share with somebody kind of the greatest opportunity you might have all year of gently and graciously and easily sharing the gospel or part of the gospel of who Jesus is and and maybe even talk about the, the Magi or something like that. Maybe there's a relative, maybe there's a friend, maybe somebody at a party, and you know what, I'm really trying to worship the Lord for what he has done for me, and maybe you will have that chance. I hope you will. But today, I want you to think, for those of us who know Jesus best, is this Christmas going to be a Magi Christmas? Is it a Christmas where we are going to spend time worshiping the Lord and bowing down and kissing his feet? The one who came from heaven, who ended up in a stinky manger, all because of the need that God saw that we had in our life. And if you need any help, remembering why this God is so worthy of our worship, I have two practical things at the end of our sermon here that we're going to do. First of all, I want you to listen to the words of Paul's Christmas story. There's no shepherds, there's no wise men, there's no angels, there's no cows, anything like that. There's not even Mary and Joseph. This is Paul's Christmas story. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5 to 7. Have this mind amongst yourselves, he's talking to Christians, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus did not go out of heaven kicking and screaming 2,000 years ago. No! But the Father turned to the Son 
And he said, it is time. We have planned this from eternity past, and it is time. And Jesus stood up from his heavenly throne and took off his robe and stepped forward and literally stepped into history in a way that we will never understand. How does the one seated at the right hand of the Father become a baby in a manger? I don't know how that happens, but in a miracle it did. Verse 7, he emptied himself of what it meant to be God for a time by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. We worship our God because first of all, can you imagine a God who would have this kind of plan? You know, most gods of this world from other religions, what is their plan to make you who've got a problem and me who has a problem right with them? What's the plan in most religions? You do something for me. You slash your back or you do enough words of this, or you do enough contrite prayers, or you give enough money, or you, 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 you do something for me, and then I might, I just might, say you're worthy to be part of my family. But our God didn't do that. The God of the universe looked down and saw our problem, our sin problem, that we would be separated from him forever. And he said, I'm going to do something about that. I will step in and do what is needed to be done. And he turned to his son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this planned from eternity past and said, it's time. Off you go. What a plan. Not asking us for something to make us somehow right, but that he offered his only son to come down to earth when Jesus knew the plan was 33 years later, we were going to kill him. And second, that the Father would be willing to do that. Oh, how he loves us. We sang that. I thought of some many things that have happened to me in these last days even, that remind me how much God loves me. But there is nothing that even comes close to the love the Father has shown by being willing to send His one and only Son. I think of, what if God came to me and said, Mark, I have a plan I have a plan to save this group of people or to, or to solve this problem. And the plan involves you becoming a slug. A slug? A slug. Slugs are like one of the most disgusting creatures I can ever imagine. And for a human being, the pinnacle of God's creation, to be willing to become a slug for God's purposes... That's just about what happened when Jesus stepped out of heaven, emptied himself for a period of time of what it meant to be. He was no longer omniscient. He was still God, total God-man in the flesh, but he wasn't omniscient anymore. He was only in one place at one time. 
He didn't have angels worshiping him night and day. And he emptied himself and came down. And his lowering was more than it would be for me to become a slug, for him to become a human being, to become a servant, to do what needed to be done on our behalf. What a plan and what a love that that plan shows that the Father has for us. So go back to Paul's Christmas story and remind yourself of how much you're loved and all that he did by sending him. Second thing we're going to do after I pray, we're going to sing a Christmas song. This happens to be my favorite Christmas song. I, I came across it years ago. It's not, a new, it's not an old one, it's a new one. I have some old ones that are favorites too. But I am positive that this song is inspired by Philippians chapter 2. And if you know this song, I want you to sing it with us. If you don't know the song, just look at the words and think about all God has done for you so that it will make it easier and easier for you and I to worship God this Christmas. Let's pray.